0: Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A Better Way to Farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits
1: so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey there. Tyler here, field agronomist with The Better Way to Farm, where we spend each and every day providing solutions for farmers to grow better crops and to make more money. And I want to welcome you back to this episode on our podcast. We're trying to follow up with a conversation, uh, kind of a part two, if you will, from last week's episode that we talked about the free fall of fertilizer. There's a lot of things going on in the industry right now, a lot of articles being written and and some information that's out there that we just kind of wanted to clear the air for our clients that work with us, potential clients that may want to work with us and those that are looking for some insider, not really insider knowledge, but just some knowledge in the industry that may be counterintuitive to some of the large articles you read. So I wanted to welcome back a good friend of mine and a good friend of yours back to the show for this part two episode, the kind of the trends of fertilizer right now. So Mr. Rod Livesey, thank you for joining us again. Looking forward to kind of the to and fro conversation we'll have about this, another new article <laughs> that was just released, kind of continuing to talk about the trends of fall fertilizer, you know, is now the time to buy or, you know, where do we see rock bottom or prices going to go back up?
0: Absolutely. And Tyler, thanks for taking the time to help me with this. It's always fun to work with you. And I believe that, you know, our, our goal is to bring great information to the growers and make them think. We're not trying to tell them what to think. We're trying to make them think. And so that's what we're after. I read this article about three days ago. And when I read it, it was like, we need to do a part two. Because, you know, last time we talked about the fact that the title said free fall, but the article said the free fall is over, you know, that we've hit, we've, we've hit bottom. That's the bottom line. And so this article went a little bit farther about that. And there are some things in this that we, I talked about, we talked about last time. I thought it was interesting that they're really coming clean and putting it in print. The author said that on the potash side, I think the values we're seeing out there are solid. And then he went on to say, when we look at them versus some of the grain values, they're pretty good. (laughs) This guy is out of the industry and he's just telling you, we're going to base the price of MAP, the price of DAP, and the price of potassium chloride, it's going to be based on the price of corn. It's how much gross revenue do you get, and we think we need this percentage. It has nothing to do with supply and demand. It has nothing to do with cost plus profit. It's what will the market bear, whole different way. We, as we're buying raw materials, unfortunately, we are subject to paying the price that they set for the raw materials, and so we're limited in what we can do. However, we are able to come a little bit closer to a fair market value, I think, and I'm excited about that. This guy went on to say, Tyler, he says, potash is a great value. Phosphate, I'm a little nervous about. What he's saying is the potash probably is about where it's going to be, but hang on, brother, because phosphate's getting ready to go up. Yep. And they went on and they talked about nitrogen, saying that uh, you know anhydrous is up a decent chunk from where it was in the, the summer. Uh, it's up from the summer lows. However, we think that uh, given any kind of a decent fall, They're expecting significant increases in the price of nitrogen, especially in anhydrous. And he closed, Tyler, by saying, I would rather have this stuff locked up, saying that I like it is where it versus the grain prices today. We started with and we ended with we're going to get a certain percentage of your income.
1: Well, and I, I wanted to share real, real quick. Because you kind of brought it up, but I kind of want to drive this home. The article that they're taking these quotes from, the gentleman that was talking about this is the director of fertilizer for a very large brand. And I think it's interesting that he comes out and he says, as the fertilizer director, I kind of feel like his job is probably dependent on promoting uh, the sales of fertilizer. And he's coming (laughs) out and saying, well, you know what? you know maybe you better look at locking them in now that we've kind of seen this downtick i'm wondering if they realize that there is a supply out there and that the demand isn't as great so they're trying to do what they can to try to to push some of those sales and i'm just going to say and i know where we're headed Is that we, what we do at A Better Way to Farm is not base our stuff off of margin or trying to get something sold. It's literally based off of soil tests or the publication 167 that we're about ready to talk about and addressing limiting factors and kind of going from there. So when we say, hey, you might want to think about buying this, it's probably because the discounts are at the greatest or we know something in the market is going to change, but we're not going to promote something that you don't need and just say, hey, you should buy this because you know it's going to make our pocketbooks or you know bigger. And this is something that you need because it's right for your acre.
0: Absolutely. It's all based off of the soil test. I've got a stack of tests here an inch thick that I'm going through for a guy who's being hammered on to book his fall broadcast application. He's never worked with us before. He actually called me up yesterday. He said, well, I'm going to go liquid this year. You just won't get off me. And you just keep pounding on me that I need to do it. And I laughed at him. And I said, Chad, what do you mean? He said, well, you, you know, every day I said, you're choosing to listen to the podcast and the social media. I'm not calling you. I haven't talked to you in six weeks. He goes, yep. every day, man, you just keep telling me. So, you know, we do through our social media. We believe strongly in that. And so, Tyler, let's dive in here and talk about maybe how these guys can spend their dollars more wisely. We know that, you know, things are still not inexpensive by any stroke of the imagination. But oftentimes we're trying to compensate for doing the wrong thing by putting a lot more N, P, or K on than what we need. So, do you have a copy? Of, have you got the table of ratings or the bulletin one sixty seven in front of you? Yeah,
1: yeah. So the the table of ratings for Midwest Labs. You know that is one of the things that even early on we we kind of made the joke when we were talking kind of off air about me growing up in the the retail side before I um, became a man and got out of there. And you know, I was the co op, you know, the agronomy sales specialist, and it happens to make an acronym. But but looking at this and looking at Dr. Liebig's Law of Limiting Nutrients is one of the things that I used to question when I was working in the retail side of things. And, and we were out there pushing NPK, NPK, variable rate, do more, do more. And I'm like, what about some of this other stuff that's on this chart? Or, you know, when you're doing variable rate stuff, you know, based off of CEC, how do we know this? I think some people are getting a little bit smarter, but I used to write variable rate s- scripts and I never once looked at the CEC in relation to the number, you know, parts per million that I needed. I digress a little bit, but there are some things out there that you absolutely need to know, but it starts with a complete soil test. I I don't want to put a shameless plug in there, but if you have not soil tested, plan on soil testing this fall. Make sure you do a complete soil test. If you have any questions about how you could do it yourself, or if you need a trusted resource, I'd highly recommend reaching out. I know that I do that. We've got several people on the team that are doing that now, kind of taking back that kind of control, but you've got to do a complete soil test to figure out exactly where you are so that you can address those limiting factors and that you're not over applying or under applying anything.
0: Absolutely. And I can really appreciate that. You know, I the first thing that's on this table of ratings and, and it's at the top of the page, I think probably because it's most important, I want to talk about is the, you know, phosphorus. We're going to talk about that later. That's not relative to CEC. However, potassium, magnesium, calcium, and sodium, the level of those is dependent upon your CEC. So let me give you an example here, guys. If I have a CEC of 10, which a lot of us are farming ground, you know, with a CEC of 10, and I have 130 parts per million of potassium, I'm in the high range. Tyler, I'm absolutely in the high range, and that's hard to get there. Now, if my CEC is 25, and I have 130 parts per million, I'm in the low range. And the chart actually goes all the way to 30. Now, at 30, it takes 262 parts per million, or just exactly twice what it takes to get there at 10. And I say these things, Because most of the industry, and I'm going to assume you were doing this, you were working off of this chart at 30. You wanted everybody to get to 262 parts per million, right?
1: Absolutely. 100%.
0: But the problem with that is that's nearly impossible to do. If your CEC is 10 or 15, and you can get to 130, up to about 152, that's high. And that's going to be more than sufficient If we're doing all of the right things, Tyler, what, give me some thoughts on this. What are you thinking here as I'm talking about this?
1: You're absolutely correct. And that's one of the things that you have to understand that you do need to know your CEC, but you need to make sure that your trusted advisor is also kind of following these rules that, you know, as your CEC, you know, maybe it's lower and you have a little bit lighter ground or as it works up that basically it goes back to the holding capacity, right? It's the cation exchange capacity, how tight things hold on to the soil. So the higher the number, the harder it is to get those nutrients off of the soil colloid and up into the plant. So think about the tighter soils you're going to need more, but also don't sit there and say, well, because I have a high CEC and you know, Rod and Tyler just talked about needing more that I need to apply more you need to apply the exact amount and that's where we go say things like in furrow or something like that and we talk about some of those efficiencies in our two-day fundamentals of of agronomy events that we have so to me as you look across that you're going to see those things change the other thing that we know is that there are some specific relationships between potassium especially as it relates to potassium and magnesium that you need to know we talk about those as well and then we get people that are they'll question the the calcium to magnesium ratio and that's one that we certainly don't argue about it you know if somebody has a certain opinion on it they can say what they want because i know we especially you personally have worked with some growers that theoretically have had soils that are out of balance compared to you know based off of other's advice but you know very well i mean you know a guy that set a a world record with technically soils that were out of balance when you look at the basically base saturations and how that works so it's vital looking at your cec in relationship to the parts per million that you look at that and you don't just base off of removal you know off of soil test and say oh You know what? I've got a K level of 150 or a a mag level of 150. I'm good. I can skip this year because I I didn't buy in the fall. I waited till the spring because I listened to some other market analysis and they were wrong.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm going to share a story, Tyler. I think you're aware of this. We were in Ankeny in July and there was a gentleman brand new coming in with us and he arrived mad at the world. And it's never good when a new friend that you've never met yet only over the phone shows up and he's just mad. And when I finally got him to talk about it, and I'm not going to say his name. He's probably going to listen to this, and I appreciate him very much. But the sad part was he had went and asked for his soil test, because we said bring some kind of a soil test to talk about. And when he came in, he had a loadout sheet. And so he asked him, he said he knew what he was looking for. He's like, I don't see any analytical work here. Where's my soil test? His person literally told him, well, we didn't get around to taking a test, so we just wrote you some scripts. And he said, based on what? Based on what? That's where we're at. We want to see that test. And then if we need potassium, let's do it. But we're going to talk about here briefly. I want to talk about, let's say you do need potassium. Rather than do a big blow and go, which, you know, we've got guys. I talked to a guy yesterday, Tyler. He's put 300 pounds of KCL on for years, years and years and years. Okay. He's never moved his needle, not an ounce. And then I take a look at Andy. And if you guys want to look at something, you can go back and listen to the podcast that we did with our good friend Andy from up in Northern Iowa. And, you know, I look at Andy's K levels. They'd been on a high broadcast, couldn't get them to move. And then he moves over and starts putting on what? Six gallon of potassium thiosulfate, right? You know, he takes our product. He puts, you know, a couple gallon or three or four, well, a gallon in the trench, two or three gallon, two by two, or with a coulter with a wave. And then he puts on two more gallon when he, when he wide drops. And it took him about three years to really start seeing the results, but his K levels have really taken off. Have you talked to Andy about that?
1: Yeah, and that's you know because I actually do soil testing for Andy, <laughs> and and that's one of the that's one of the things that you know we obviously we share the photos from Jim and Tian out in Central Nebraska that you don't have to variable rate or grid sample this stuff and and think that that is going to be the key to unlock your yield potential in the future. You can absolutely do a, a composite test if you do it. You know, we have kind of a particular way to do it and kind of follow those guidelines, but it all goes back to that soil test. And if it calls for six gallon of potassium thiosulfate, Um, we're going to recommend the, you know, a a very clean, a very pure product, uh, why we do what we do. And then you're going to go on and you're going to be successful with that program. But again, it's about addressing what you need. It's not that he's putting on six gallons because, you know, we're in some fancy group that we charge overcharge people and say hey if you, <laughs> if you if you do this it's a little bit of a secret but we know that it works well, this isn't a secret but we know that it works because it's the science behind it and i wanted to throw something else out there about the science behind things because i used to do this and i just had a conversation on monday with the grower that is still trying to variable rate some stuff which is what it is we work with growers from maybe a a seed treatment or a soil applied surfactant early on uh, all the way through an entire system approach. But that grower said, well, you know, I just can't believe that you're working with growers that aren't putting any dry on there. So we absolutely are. And they're like, well, you know, I'll have to give it a shot, but I know that my co-op are going to come out and they're going to do grids this year. And so we can set up the, the variable rate stuff. And they talked about in the past, how that variable rate, you know, they're like, well, I just, sometimes I, I, I feel like it it costs too much. And when I was back at the co-op doing this stuff, all you would do, if you talked with that grower and he said, man, I just can't spend that much. All you would do is you go back into their file and all it is, is uh, the prescriptions based off of if so, then commands. And if this number is 150 parts per million then this amount of potash is applied. So we would just go back in there and we would change it and say, if 150 is the number, then this amount of potash is applied. And we would just lower it. I mean, it was literally just, you can sit there and say, I got this fancy book with this colored map. And I know that I'm doing this, you know, efficiently, but all people are doing are sitting behind a keyboard and changing numbers around to make it work in your system. And we don't do that. We give you exactly what you need, whether it's, you know, phosphorus or potassium, even some of the micros that we're going to hit on here in a little bit. But the biggest point is, is that if you come to us and you say, Hey, I've got a budget $150, that's all I can spend on my fertility. We're not going to say, okay, well then let's throw all the micros away and we'll do micros later. Let's really ramp up your your P and your K because that's where it's needed. I, I relate it to a slide scale, you know, okay, if this is a hundred percent, then we're going to back everything down in ratios evenly so that you're applying everything that's just in lesser amounts. And then we might have to change a yield goal or something like that, but that's how our system works compared to how others are doing it.
0: Absolutely. You know, and I, I take a look at this, you talked about Jim and Tian, and I, I'm very excited when I get to see those field maps and show what happens when we give every plant Every plant, equal opportunity nutrition, Tyler. I believe that's the secret to this. You know, my mentor, uh, Denny, he taught me that early on, you know, 30 years ago. He was talking about equal opportunity nutrition, and he wasn't talking about variable rating. He was talking about per plant. That's why that composite, when the test is pulled correctly, you know, the way you do it, the way we'll teach people to do it, is very effective. And we've got yield maps from multiple growers to to show that. I want to jump over and talk about phosphorus. Because I think part of the problem that I see is, is I see people gunning for really high FOSS levels, really high. And this is not dependent upon CEC. This is just purely in parts per million. And as I said here, and I look at this table 167, the table ratings, you know, a P1 test between 22 and 30, P2 test of 40 to 58, those are high. And those are actually the money range. That is the place that you want to live To a large degree. And so, you know, I think sometimes we get to talking, and we do, you know, we grow bigger crops, we take more out of the soil. I get all that. Let's not forget, Tyler, we got 6,000 pounds of phosphorus in the top six inches of an acre of soil, 6,000. And the top six feet of soil, according to Dr. Mulvaney and a lot of others, there's 360,000 pounds of K, 360,000 pounds. You're talking about 1,800 tons, okay? That's a lot, a lot of K. And so what we got to do is figure out how to make it become available. But I think sometimes we get so caught up, like our self-worth is based on, can I get a P1 test of 85? Well, yeah, probably if you spend enough money, but it doesn't convert into income, right? Yep. So let's jump out of that. We've discussed what those levels are, what's ideal, where's the money spot, where's the place you want to live. But let's talk about sulfur, zinc, manganese, iron, copper, and boron. How important, Tyler, do you think these secondaries and these micros are in relationship to achieving top end yield?
1: They're absolutely critical. And, you know, again, we we have these conversations, it seems like daily, because again, I literally just, it was yesterday or the day before, it was probably both, had conversations with growers about not only sulfur, but also boron, especially whether it's a, a secondary macro or even a micro. Sulfur and boron, you've talked about this. We've talked about how sulfur and boron are negatively charged, just like nitrate, nitrogen. So we know that there are issues with nitrates in groundwater. That's, that's very common. You just Google search nitrates and groundwater. You're going to have tons of articles from all across the country talking about that. Sulfur and boron are also negatively charged, and they're going to act very similarly in the soil. Now the other interesting thing is about things like boron. So we know that boron leaches just like nitrate nitrogen. But again, you need to understand that boron also is immobile in the plant. So if we understand that it's immobile in the plant, there's no point in going out there and what uh, borax. You go buy your uh, you know, pallet of borax from from Walmart and dump all that dry into a spreader and then you're spreading all that that borax borax out there early on in the season it doesn't matter if you put everything out there in the season it's still not going to get into the kernel at grain fill when it's needed but it's also needed you know in the vegetative state before the reproductive state so we're always going to recommend things like boron that you kind of sprinkle them out throughout the season and that's where things like drones foliar feeding that's where those ramp up your yield it's not putting 20 pounds of borax out with your planter and getting a getting a result from it the other thing you've said this before rod is don't think that when your starter guy comes out and sells you his starter fertilizer that's so black you can't see through it and he says oh but but rod you know what else is in there There, there's micronutrients in there (laughs) don't think that those micronutrients are available. Don't don't when he says, oh, there's there's zinc in there and there's a little bit of manganese in there and a little bit of copper. Don't think for one second that those are ever, ever, ever going to be plant available (laughs) up into especially for that crop year. So you've got to understand how these secondaries like sulfur and how these micros actually work into the system. I mean, we could talk about this stuff all day long zinc's interaction with phosphorus manganese i there's something about mangan i feel like something ties does something tie manganese up i feel like you've talked about that before as well
0: i've heard rumors sometimes using manganese will help uh lessen the effects of yellow flash that i'm just gonna say sometimes you know that's the case um you know i i think that's true and, and one of the big micronutrients that you get in that dark fertilizer is aluminum Now the problem with that tyler is that aluminum is not a plant needed uh, nutrient and it actually ties up phosphorus and does a lot of other things to our soil that we don't want. So it's always interesting to see those aluminum counts. I, you know, the thing with boron is, is it doesn't translocate. So if you front load it and it all goes into that, you know, between baby seed and say a V5 and then it's done all your growth after V5 is short on boron. So I think boron should be applied like you should vote in Illinois. Do it early, early and often. Do it often. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <Okay. laughs> and so, you know, I, I believe that. And I just think that the limiting factors, oftentimes, most of the time, a high percentage of the time, they're not in PK. They're really not. It has to do with all these other things that we need. And so I guess I'm going to try and wrap this up here. We're going to get a little long. But, Tyler, what I just want to say is, guys, here's the deal. Why put on a lot of dry? Why put on a bunch of stuff that we don't need and fail to address our limiting factors? And so what we're going to suggest is is that you be very judicious with your money and that you just go out here and you apply exactly what you need. No more, no less. You might spend the same amount of dollars, but you redirect it to places that are going to get you money, that are going to get you yield. And so that's kind of my closing thoughts. Anything you want to say before I wrap the episode up?
1: No, I, I completely agree you and Preston, I've, I've got to give him props because Preston's the one that introduced me to you. But what we do at A Better Way to Farm is truly different and unique, especially to the the co-op systems. And quite honestly, a lot of other, uh, other groups and stuff out there that are just trying to apply more. I never once thought that Addressing limiting factors, and I was told by my agronomy manager at my my first co op that I worked at that the micronutrients are small enough that we don't need to worry about them. And that was probably the exact opposite <laughs> of a definition of a micronutrient. It's very very small, so you need to you need to make it a priority. I, I think that there are you know we talk about trying to equalize everything, keep everything in balance. But to be quite honest with you, if you got a short change, a little bit of potassium or a little bit of you know phosphorus, because your, your levels, you know, when you're looking at the table of ratings, your levels are medium or kind of floating towards high. I would much rather you put a little bit more boron because it fits in your budget than a little bit more potassium, because I know that that potassium is going to come from the soil anyway. So pay attention to that balance is the biggest key. Get a high quality soil test don't fall victim to the cheap soil tests i'm telling you right now if it's cheap if it's free it ain't worth it so that those are kind of my closing comments um again shameless plug if you need help or if you're looking for somebody to do it right give us a shout
0: absolutely you know and tyler i thank you for your time and helping me with this as always And to those of you out there listening, guys, we appreciate each and every one of you. God bless you. We love our people that uh, we get to be a little bitty part of their life. Hopefully we make an impact and make a difference. And, you know, if you want to reach us, you can always reach out and send us a text or uh, give us a phone call at 641-919-1206. Guys, we appreciate you tuning in. We look forward to talking to you again soon. And all of us on behalf of Tyler, myself and the whole team at A Better Way to Farm, we just want to say we hope you're having a better day.